Let us now turn to the Word of God for our instruction, for our praise, for our meditation, for our worship this night. We come, first of all, to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus and the 26th chapter, and we read from verse 31 through to the verse 37, and then we have a New Testament reading, the book of Exodus, the chapter 26, commencing our reading at the verse 31. And I remind you that in the scriptures, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, there were no chapter divisions or verses as such. These things are all helpful for us. And I read from verse 31 by way of context to get everything that we need to understand God's word this evening in an application which we find in the New Testament. The book of Exodus, chapter 26, commencing reading the verse 31. Let us hear the word of God. This is the word of God. Thou shalt make a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine twined linen of cunning work. With cherubims shall it be made. Thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood, overlaid with gold, their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tashes of four sockets of silver, and they, thou shalt hang up the veil under the tashes, that thou mayest bring in hither within the veil the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. Thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place, and thou shalt set the table without the veil, and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. Thou shalt put the north side. Thou shalt make an hanging for the door of the tent, blue and purple and scarlet, fine twined linen, wrought with needlework, Thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, and their hooks shall be of gold. And thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. Amen. We turn now to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, in the chapter 27. We're commencing our reading of the verse 33 of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. Again, let us hear God's holy word. When they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. When he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, set up over his head, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, another on the left. They that passed by reviled him, 
wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, it was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord be pleased to bring his word to our understanding and to our hearts. May the Lord write it large upon our hearts here tonight. The Lord be pleased to visit us with his gracious salvation, with his sovereign, and we pray that the Lord in his sovereign mercy might reveal himself and sinners to themselves, all for the glory of his name and to the salvation of their souls. Well, let us come before the Lord together in prayer, seeking the Lord this night. Well, dear friends, I wish to now turn your prevalent attention once again to that first reading that I read to you in your hearing, the book of Exodus, and I want to think this evening upon that which we read in Exodus chapter 26 and also what we read in the Gospel of Matthew at that last hour when the Lord Jesus Christ breathed his last and the veil of the temple was rent, torn from top to bottom. <coughs> I want us to think this evening, our theme, our thoughts are upon the veil of the temple. There are two miracles in that passage of Matthew chapter 27. I didn't know if you noticed, 
but there was the rent veil, and then there were the rent graves. And then after, not at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ's death, but it says there after the resurrection, the saints came out of the graves. And I want us to consider this evening, with the Lord's help, the great significance of the veil of the temple. You know, the Apostle Paul says in Hebrews that the things of the tabernacle were pictures of the true, shadows of good things to come. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only good one. He is the one who we sang in that Psalm 8, who made the heavens and the earth, and so condescended to come into this uh, sinful and hell-deserving world. How good is the God that we adore. God, Psalm 72, and the Son of God, who doeth only wondrous things. We want to consider these things here tonight. Let's just turn there, the Lord's help, to Exodus 26 and the verse 31. You notice how the Lord, there they are upon Mount Sinai. Moses has just met with the Lord and now he's giving instruction. Once again, the law has been given. And of course, the Ten Commandments, chapter 20 of Exodus, and then there's the civil law, and now the ceremonial law. And part of this great instruction of how the various aspects of the tabernacle were to put, be put together down to the letter. Everything must be carried out just as God has said. And I trust that God will give us an understanding of these things because they have great, tremendous uh, importance and significance concerning our never-dying souls. Would we see... As the Greeks went into the temple, they said, we would see Jesus. And I pray, friends, God will help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior that is set before us, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We want to see the Lord Jesus Christ, the great significance of the temple. Paul said, the things of the tabernacle and the temple of old, these were shadows of things to come, pictures of the true. But of course, the substance has come. Jesus Christ has come into this world. So let us just take a look there in the book of Exodus, chapter 26, verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work with cherubims shall it be made. And of course, this was the great veil, the curtains that would separate the holy place between the holy of holies. So you had the tabernacle, and around the tabernacle was a great fence. And then you had the, the laver, and then you had the altar, the brazen altar, and then, of course, the, the tabernacle itself. And within the tabernacle, you would have the showbread, you would have the candlesticks, and the priests would there offer incense. But once a year, once a year, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies behind those curtains and present the blood of the Lamb and sprinkle with his finger seven times 
upon the ark of the covenant. That ark of the covenant was made with shittim wood, finest wood, overladen with gold. And these things speak of Jesus Christ. Wood, picturing his humanity, gold, his glory, and his grandeur. And upon the ark, the Lord said he would meet his people. Whether cherubim look over that mercy seat, where the priest would sprinkle the blood. And the Lord said, there will I meet with the people. There will I speak. As the cherubim gaze over that mercy seat, looking down in holy wonder and awe, perhaps not until the Savior would come into the world, would the cherubim in heaven really understand the way of salvation. It was not known. The angels, Peter tells us, longed to look into these things. They didn't know, they didn't understand how God would meet with sinners. How can a holy God of heaven meet with unworthy sinners such as we? How can sinners be reconciled to a holy God? Well, this is our theme this evening as we think upon the veil of the temple, because it divided, as it were, the holy of holies represented heaven itself, because there was no window within the holy of holies. There could be no light brought in there. And we know from the book of the Revelation that Christ is the light and the glory of heaven. There should be no sun, there should be no light, for he shall be the very glory of heaven. So that holy of holies were the Ark of the Covenant. And inside that Ark of the Covenant were what? Three things. The table of the law. Then Aaron's budding rod. And what else? The golden censer filled with manna. Those three things speaking of Jesus Christ. Didn't he say, I am the manna that has come down from heaven? Your fathers ate bread in the wilderness, and they perished. But I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, shall live forever. And then the, the law was placed in there. The Ten Commandments. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is the very embodiment of the law. He is the very one who gave the law. He is the law giver. And he came into this world and he magnified the law and he made it honorable. And he is that one, that budding rod, as all the other rods of the other princes of Israel, they didn't live, but Aaron's rod lived. It budded that night. And Moses came out to the people of Israel. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed, the great high priest, Though he was put to death as the lamb, he lives. Because he lives, he said to his disciples, ye shall live also. Now you see, all of these things signify the Savior. But we want to think this evening, as we bring the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to think upon this veil. Now let me say, first of all, friends, there was in the beginning no veil. When we go in our mind's eye to Eden, 
before there was sin. We read, do we not, that Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the cool of the day. There was no separation, no separation whatsoever. But what do we read? The day that Adam sinned, there was a veil. There was a barrier. The veil represents a barrier. And at the Lord Jesus Christ's death, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, signifying that it was a work of God, that it was a miraculous work. We read there in Matthew 27, verse 50, And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. We know from Luke's account, and from the account in John, he cried, "'Tis finished, tetelestai!" And the veil was rent. He breathed his last, "'Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit.'" He had suffered in the room in the stead of all who would ever believe upon him. I am the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep, suffering he, the just, died for the unjust, that he might bring them unto God, taking away the veil. So we want to think here, first of all, there was no veil in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we read that everything God made, it was good. And when he made Adam in his image, it was good. And yet Adam... And Eve sinned against Almighty God. And there was a separation that day, was there not? If you turn in Genesis 3.24, you'll notice that um, that day that Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the garden. It was really, we could say, Satan was the very first one to sin on earth. Because he, he tempted, did he not? He was already cast out. But we read, so he drove out the man Genesis 3, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So they were barred, as it were, from Eden, barred from the tree of life, separated from God. Isaiah, does he not say by the Spirit, and our sins have made a separation between us and our God, that he will not hear us. Sin separates us from God, friends. If I may impress anything upon our minds this evening, I want to impress that one thing. God is holy. Do we understand the sinfulness of sin? Do we understand what God thinks of sin? So awful was that sin in that garden. It was not just eating of the fruit. It was the reasons why they took of the fruit. There was pride behind it. Eve, if you take this, Adam, if you take of this, you shall be as God. You shall be God's yourself. God is holding back your potential. Pride. Disobedience. Arrogance. They had no reason to ever question God. Yet they did. They were making God to be a liar in that very sin itself. And thus God barred them. 
from Eden. And death came. Separation. Death. And it's very interesting, you know, let's just look there. Upon this veil, upon this very veil were cherubims sown upon the veil itself. We notice how upon the veil there was, notice the verse 31, and thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen cunning work with cherubims shall it be made. Upon that veil, you see, they signified separation from God. The holy angels of God are separating God from man. Man made in the very image of God. And he, having God's laws written upon our tablets, our hearts of stone. Really, really, that's what our hearts have become. The law's there. We know wrong and we know right. Yet our hearts, are they not so hard against Almighty God? We know the truth and our conscience bearing witness. Either accusing us or else excusing us. If we do good, we know it's good. When we do wrong, we blush and we become ashamed and we're embarrassed. And conscience weighs heavily upon us. It is appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. Hear the words they say to us every day. You wake up in the morning, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You go to a funeral. What is it saying to you? It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Every day of your life, as you get older and you see time is passing, as you pass through the passage of time, it is appointed unto man wants to die, and after that the judgment. Why do you die? The wages of sin is what? Death. You see, God is holy. And His holy angels and His cherubim, they separate us from God. In the beginning was no veil. One day there will be no veil. But there is the veil in the Old Testament right through. We know it was seen there in type form really when Abel and Cain were given instruction how to worship God. They had to come as it were with a sacrifice. That's a veil in itself. Without blood, without a covering. There's no access to God. There's no fellowship with God because why God is holy. And he demands justice. Cain, my brother's blood, crieth from the ground. Jesus' blood, says Paul, speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood was crying what? Vengeance! Christ's blood cries what? Mercy. Mercy. Because his blood was shed. shed for another life for life and by his life his people are saved you see the way to communion with God was either by the sacrifice and the shedding of the blood and the priest had to go with the blood into the holy of holies he had to take the blood otherwise he couldn't go through the veil 
So all the way from Adam through to the law, the moral law, we see there was a veil. Sacrifice, and now the temple has been built. They've gone to the top of Mount Sinai. Moses has, as it were, and met with God. And God is giving here meticulous instruction as to the very things of the tabernacle. Now why did the Son of God come into the world? This is the great issue, isn't it? Friends, let me put it this way, because there was a veil. But that veil was temporary. Was it not? It's a temporary veil. We notice how it was made with fine twine linen. Couldn't last forever. Couldn't last. But it's amazing how long it did last. But it, it did last, but it was temporary nonetheless. And the way to God was not made, made perfect yet, Paul says. These things, Paul says in Hebrews, the shedding of the bloods of bulls and of goats cannot take away. Things, friends, were those shadows of good things to come. When John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus Christ coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, the greatest of prophets, said, The Lord Jesus. And even the Lord Jesus said of himself, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to give his life a ransom for many. Why? Because his blood had to be shed. There was a veil. We notice what happens here as he, as he breathes his last. and As he cries, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? He had to be forsaken. He had to be forsaken. In the epistle to the Hebrews, the Apostle Paul, you may wish to turn there. Let me just show it to you. It's very important. You may not be a Christian, but let me just show you with your own eyes and pray God will give you eyes to see. Hebrews 10.19. We notice the Apostle Paul shows how the veil symbolized Christ's flesh. Hebrews 10.19, we read, Having therefore, brethren, these are believers... Boldness to enter into the holiest that is heaven itself. He's not here speaking about the earthly tabernacle. Many of these early Christian Jews, they are now made a gazing stock. They are cast out by their own Jewish families because they have followed Christ. And he is exhorting them, don't go back to the old. Don't go back to the types and shadows of the Old Testament. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is where now sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God on high. And what does he have to say about Christ? Brethren, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter, verse 19, into the holiest hell, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated or set apart. How? For us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. 
You see how Paul likens the veil? My friends, that flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ had to be torn. Isaiah says he was pierced for our transgressions. Well, this veil, it was temporary. It was made from fine twine linen. The Hebrew word is the word shesh, which means pure. It was fine twine. It was the finest. And you notice the colors there. Blue, scarlet, purple. And all these colors have great significance. If you were to study the Bible. The Bible is a wonderful book to study, my dear friends. We know that purple signifies royalty. The king's only could wear that color. Even in this country, there was a time when such. And even in Israel, purple, royalty, blue signifying heaven. Heaven above is softer blue. Heaven, this one would come from heaven. That very one who is the veil would come from heaven. Scarlet signifying what? How did they make scarlet? The worm was crushed. He was crushed. For the sins of his people. It was a very expensive, costly veil. And my dear friends, there is no greater cost than the Lord Jesus Christ. The very God himself of heaven left his courts above and became man. The very God of heaven The Son of God became man. We sang of him in Psalm 8, and you can read in Hebrews chapter 2, all about the Lord Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. He who made the angels, he who made the heavens and made the earth. He came to do what? To give his life as a ransom for many. Why? Because sinners are separated from God. And there is no other way. Friends, sinners could ever possibly have access to a holy God unless God makes the way. This is why the Lord says in Isaiah to sinners, look unto me and be saved. Because he was the one promising the way of salvation. In Genesis 3.15 we have what's called the proto-evangelum, proto-evangelum, the first gospel promise. Where the Lord speaks to Satan, that he will crush Satan's head. His heel was bruised. He suffered. For a little while, he was made lower than the angels. And he, he suffered on the cross. And his, as it were, his veil was rent. Because God's justice had to be, as it were, poured out upon him. Full satisfaction. It was a temporary veil in the Old Testament. But here is a new and living way, says the Apostle Paul. Thou shalt make a veil of blue and a purple and a scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work. And you notice there with the cherubims, just as there in the Garden of Eden, God put the cherubims there. And there it is reminding sinners in the Old Testament, friend, exactly it's taking us back to the Garden of Eden. That God hasn't changed over hundreds of years, thousands of years. 
He hasn't changed, has he? He remains ever holy. I love a holy God. I want a righteous God. I don't want a God that accommodates sin. And he is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. This veil was made out of everything pure. When we look at the life and the perfections and the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we say? He's altogether lovely. What did Pilate say? I find no fault in him. Herod could say the same. The people could say the same thing. Pilate's wife had very bad dreams. Have nothing to do with this man's death. This is an innocent man with a centurion. Saw how he died. He said, surely this was the Son of God. And the proof is, friends, that veil in the tabernacle was rent. From top to bottom. You could just imagine. We we know it was the time of the sacrifice. We know it was the Passover time. And can you imagine the priests officiating there. And they're going about their business. And they're offering. And going to offer. But lo and behold. The veil of the temple. Is torn. Thus God signifying an end to this. Sacrificial system that could not satisfy God's justice for sin, but was merely a picture of what folly it is to hear of people becoming supposedly were Christians. Well, I don't believe that's ever possible because you never, once your eyes have been opened to the Lord Jesus, how could you go back? You never really believed. But our eyes have been opened to Christ. We've seen the way to heaven. Did the Lord Jesus Christ not say, I'm the door. If any man enter therein by, he may be saved. He said, I'm the door of the sheep. And he is the one who is both in heaven and on earth. While he was here on earth. But notice, as we read there in Matthew's gospel, how many, after the resurrection came out of the graves after the resurrection. It wasn't there while he was breathing his last. Now what was that saying? Paul says in Romans 4, he was raised for our justification. And there's a picture you see. Christ's resurrection means the resurrection of his people. There is going to be a general resurrection of the just and the unjust. Who are the just? The just are those who God justifies and giving them faith to believe upon his son for what he has done for them. They are the justified. Otherwise, a man is believing in his own so-called righteousness to present himself before a holy God. And my friend, it is utterly impossible. It was not possible Throughout the millennia in the Old Testament, it will never be possible in a million billion years that God should keep this planet in existence. However long it is till the coming of the Son of Man. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. Will we hear that? The veil is rent. 
torn. We read there how sinners, the saints, it says the saints come out of the graves. And that speaks to my resurrection and your resurrection if we are Christians. That God will not judge us according to our sins. But who are the saints? They that believe and walk with the Lord in the light of his love. Yes, those are his people. What did he say? Greater love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. And then he proceeded to say, Ye are my friends if you keep my commandments. You see, there's a new life. The Spirit of God has changed your heart and brought you to see the Lord Jesus. The Greeks went into the temple. And they said we would see Jesus. John chapter 12. And many people want to come along to church and they say we would see Jesus. Well, I am setting him before you tonight through the veil. Access is only through Jesus Christ. And the other way is a proud way. It's man's way. It's an arrogant way. It's a foolish way. It leads to death. There's a broad road, my friend. Many are on that road, but there's a narrow road. But it begins with a narrow gate. And the Lord Jesus is that gate, is that door. Sinners must humbly see that they are defiled, just like Adam and Eve, separated from God. And there is utterly nothing you can do. Adam could have pleaded. But God would have continued to forbid him into that garden. Why? Because God is holy. And when God raises his people on the last day, the Lord Jesus said, Marvel not, the hour is coming, which all that are in the graves shall come out of the graves. Son to the resurrection of life. They will, God's people will have a new body and a renewed, the souls that have been renewed and those souls are now that have gone to be with Him in glory shall be gloriously reunited and God shall tabernacle with them forever and ever. And there'll be no more veil. There'll be no more separation. Romans 8 begins with, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it begins and it ends with no separation. You see, Christ is the hope of his people. This is the power and the wisdom of God. We must preach Christ. His people will believe. They will come. And they will never be lost. And they will be shut in. Just as Noah was shut in that ark. And we're told in the book of Revelation, nothing defiled will ever enter heaven again. And God will be with his people forever and ever. As we look at this world, friends, what do we have to say? It's a wicked world. It's got to end. It's a world of horrible things. 
Even the saint looks at his own heart. Even David, as we saw this morning, David, as he looked in his own heart and as we sang from that lamented Psalm 51, O Lord, cleanse me, wash me from all mine iniquities. Friends, that's what the Lord Jesus does. His blood is effectual to cleanse his people for all their sins because he died for them and he shed his blood for the remission of their sins. And there will never be separation. Isn't that wonderful? But it doesn't give the Christian a license to live how he wants. It's the love of Jesus Christ now that constrains him or her. We say, how can I not love God? And when we don't love him, we're grieved in our hearts, aren't we? That we don't love him more. That we don't serve him better. That we don't honor him as we ought. But we thank God. He's very gracious. Remember what David said. We read it this morning. Although it's not so with my house. David looked at his house. He saw what a mess he had made in in his sin with Bathsheba. And then murder of Uriah. And then his own son's murder. And his failure to execute justice and allowing their sin to be unaccounted for. As he looked at his life, he said, although it's not so with my house, yet Lord, thou hast made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and sure. The covenant was that God would put one upon King David's throne to reign and to rule forever. He must come from the tribe of Judah. The Lamb, He is. Though the Lion, He must become the Lamb to save His people. And there we read of Him in the book of the Revelation. The Lamb sits upon the throne. Do we love Him? Do we worship Him? Do we praise Him? Do we adore Him? Friends, it's amazing what God has done, isn't it? In Jesus Christ. He's taken away the veil. But you know there's a big problem. God has to take the veil that is before the eyes. The blindness and the willful blindness of the heart. And God does that. If God's begun to do that in your heart, praise God. You were dead. Absolutely dead. And it's a mercy that you now see. It's a mercy that you love him and you adore him. Isn't it? By nature we are children of wrath. Even as others. But God in his kindness and mercy has taken away the veil from our eyes and made us to see Christ. If he has, you will confess him before men. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. There's no such thing as somebody that is ashamed of Christ. Because they don't know the real Christ. But if your eyes have been opened, you love him. And you'll be glad to tell men what good things the Lord has done for you.
May God bless his word for his name's sake. Amen.